Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Our battleground state is living up to that name with statewide polling predicting razor-thin margins on Election Day. Plus, we have the latest on the record amount of spending in the Senate and governor's race. And what can voters expect to see on the campaign trail in the final days? We have you covered. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for November 4th. Hi, I'm Emily Pannon. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., this week we're going to start looking at early voting numbers Mm -hmm. to compare where we're at right now compared to the 2018 midterms. Let's bring up the slide. As you can see, compared from 2020, or excuse me, 2022 to 2018, uh, the the return rate has slightly dropped compared to 2018, but there is a reason why. That's because in 2018 there was a longer period of window where people could go and vote early, and absentee ballots were sent as early as September back then. That's not the case anymore. Right now, people can only vote early in person two weeks before an election. So that's why the return rate is a little bit different. As you can see, the return rate right now for this year is about 78 percent about the ballots that have been sent to the clerk's office or or in their possession compared to 84.4 percent. So you can kind of compare, but but not as much because of the rules that were different in place. Also note that we are elevated still. So we're not 2020 numbers. There were 2 million absentee ballots cast in 2020. We're nowhere near that, so over half a million. Why is that important? Because on Tuesday, there are communities like Milwaukee, like Green Bay, that have central count. What is central count? Central count is where a community takes all its absentee ballots and puts them into one place and counts them. They're not released until it's all done. Why I'm bringing this up is because you will see a surge of votes coming out of Milwaukee, hopefully before uh, Wednesday morning. So sometime late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. Now in 2020, with the surge of absentee ballots, it was three o'clock in the morning when we started, or four o'clock in the morning, we saw those ballots. Green Bay was not done until like 5 a.m. I bring this up because in the environment that we're in with the conspiracy theories about the elections, people might see these surges and go, something's amiss. It is not. This is the central count uh, turning over its numbers. Now, Milwaukee, uh, Madison is different. They take all their absentee ballots, send them out to the polling sites where they would be normally, and they're counted there uh, very quick out of Madison. But as you're watching returns on Tuesday night, if you see a tight race for governor or Senate and you see all of a sudden a bump late in the night, it's probably Milwaukee and or Green Bay coming in after Central Count finishes its work. So it's important to remind people, be patient yes. on election night because the Republicans have proposed, you know, uh, you know, allowing ballots to be counted ahead of time. That's been a huge discussion in mm-hmm. the state capitol for many, many years. It just hasn't happened yet. So when you do see, you know, a huge uptick, that is the reason why. Because they have to, they do get to start counting them that day, but they can't stop until they, they get through it. Can't even open the can't ballots open. Mm-hmm. until the polls open at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's take a look at the latest head-to-head matchups as we had our final pre-election poll by Marquette University. Uh, Right now, dead tie Mm -hmm. in the governor's race. Governor Evers and Tim Michaels sharing 48 apiece. So if you look at this, it's also uh, people can expect razor-thin margins on election night, which is interesting about this poll, and Charles Franklin, the poll director, mentioned this. This is very similar trend to what we saw in 2018 between the matchup of then-Republican Governor Scott Walker and Tony Evers. 
Walker had a lead in most of the polling, three, four polls leading up until the last one as well. And then it was almost, it was still Mm -hmm. a dead tie. So it's kind of the same momentum that we're seeing. And I guess uh, Wisconsin will ring true to its battleground name. A couple of things. Joan Begler is at 2% in this poll. Now, I don't know what she's going to poll on Tuesday, but she complicates the math for Tim Michaels in terms of beating Tony Evers. Let's say 48-48 is the absolute right number and it's 2% for Joan. That means there's 2% of the vote to divide up. Traditionally, undecides break against the incumbent, often 2 to 1 or more. That would be good for Michaels, but we're well within the margin for error when it comes to these numbers. Joan's presence, is it going to hurt Michaels when it comes to trying to get the number? It helps Evers. He can win at 49%, right? Head-to-head would be a different story, but he can win at 40, maybe even 48%. Whatever happens. By the way, there's a group called the Wisconsin Rhino Hunters, which has been doing digital ads targeting voters about Joan Begler being the true conservative. She's the pro-life candidate, the pro-gun candidate, the pro-Trump candidate. Now, never mind that Tim Michaels has been endorsed by Trump, has been knocked about his abortion stance for the entire election, and had a little curful, a little blow up there with the NRA about whether he's endorsed or just got a qualified rating back in the primary. But anyway. They're trying to say that she's the true conservative choice. I've looked at the filings from the Wisconsin Rhino Hunters. Um, it looks like it's connected to the treasurer for the state Utah, Utah State Republican Party. Um, but you got to kind of feel like there's maybe some Democrats trying right. to push conservatives toward Michaels or toward away from Michaels. We shot, we've seen that in other races around the country. But that's an interesting kind of like thing going on quietly on digital media right now in Wisconsin. And I also saw a, a campaign email uh, from the Michaels campaign warning about this yeah. ad saying, don't vote for Joan, uh, I'm the real Republican here on the ballot, because we know that impact, like you just mentioned, it could just be a few votes that could sway and really make the difference in this race. Remember, and Joan is, she's a dropped out, she's, she's endorsed not, yes. Michaels, but she's still on the, the ballot. ballot. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, taking a look at the Senate race. Mandela Barnes has been closing the gap a little bit in this latest poll. Uh, Johnson has maintained a lead since the primary. Of course, remember, shortly uh, after the primary, Barnes was up six, seven points. That essentially evaporated. Then Johnson was up six points. Then Johnson was up one point. So you could really just start to see this race narrow with Barnes at 48 percent, Johnson at 50 percent. It was a considered a toss-up by Charles Franklin. A lot of a lot of us thought that. But just this morning, I also saw, uh, I believe it was at Impact uh, or some pollsters now saying, it's going to likely lean Republican, but anything can change, though. So a couple of things about the progression of the poll. Barnes being up by seven post-primary was like a sugar high. No, right after the primary, he hadn't been knocked by any negative ads. Probably was not a real good gauge of what was going on. Johnson being up by six was an outlier. Um, but what we've seen nationally that tells me what's going on here is the conversation about the path majority for Democrats does not include Wisconsin right now. Now, that doesn't mean that Barnes can't win or he's not going to win, but national pundits look at the map and go, they're talking about Pennsylvania, they're talking about Georgia, Nevada, Arizona. They're not talking about Wisconsin. They perceive this race to be shifting toward Ron Johnson. My impression is it is a small advantage for him, but not a comfortable, like, breathe easy lead. We talked about uh, resources. Mandela Barnes had pulled even or actually pulled ahead. When you take into account all the spending by groups, he was doing a little bit more than Johnson and his allies the last four weeks. This final week, 
there's a little bit of a surge of money on the Republican side. They're now on pace to outspend Democrats. So there's all these little signs of things are in Johnson's favor. And Democrats are kind of acknowledging, well, this is going to be an uphill battle. It was, was going to be tough. Um, there's some people who have questioned, well, this race be different if it had been Sarah Galuski or Alex Lazary's a nominee. Obviously, you would not have as much of a crime conversation, but every candidate has his or her flaws. So there have been a different attacks on either of those two. So there's that. And there's not a third-party candidate to complicate the math for Johnson. He's hitting 50% in various polls. We saw Spectrum News out this week. Fox uh, News poll as well. Fox News. There have been a number of polls, and he's right around 50% in all of them. It suggests, again, that Johnson has an advantage. Yeah, we also ha- uh, saw a Spectrum News uh, poll. Johnson also was up inching clo- closer to 50% as well. Um, I do want to play a video real quick of just about the trends of favorability uh, among Evers, Michaels, Barnes, and Johnson. We'll just hear real quick from poll director Charles Franklin on that. One of the things we've seen all year, and it continues to be this true, is that all four candidates turn out to be relatively balanced in favorable and unfavorable opinions. This is not because people have real mixed feelings about them. It's because Democrats really like the Democratic candidate and dislike the Republican candidate and vice versa. The negative impressions, especially for the two non-incumbent candidates, Barnes in the Senate race and Michaels in the governor's race, Those numbers have gone up since August, while don't knows have come down, while their positive traits haven't moved by very much. If we look at the Senate race, it's pretty similar. Barnes is a little net negative by four points. Johnson is net negative by three points. With Johnson, though, he started out the year at about nine points net negative and has just gradually pole to pole improved that so that now at just three points net negative, that's as good as he's been all year. Next topic, we're going to talk about uh, how the governor's race is still the most expensive in the country right now. If you can just take a look at the latest reports uh, that JRU have been diving into, Governor Evers is still a massive, Mm -hmm. massive fundraising guy out here, I mean, compared to Michaels. And this week, you also caught something that was interesting, that the Republican Party uh, pumped nearly $3.3 million into the Michaels campaign during the most recent reporting period. And that also comes from transfers within days of Michaels' brothers, who uh, co-own Michaels Corp. with him. They gave the party $1.5 million, and that was a first that uh, the Michaels Corporation ever donated to there. So you could see that Michaels is really trying to grab at mm-hmm. any option to keep his uh, campaign up and, 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 I guess, going up against Evers and the massive amount of spending that we've seen in the campaign ads. So uh, Evers has a state Democratic Party. Tim Michaels has his checkbook. Um, looking at the big picture of the spending in the governor's race, uh, Evers has raised like $38 million now since the beginning of 2021. Of that money, $14 million has come from the state Democratic Party. Tony Evers and Ben Wickler, the party chair for Democrats, have perfected the GOP playbook, which is, was written by Robin Voss when Scott Walker was in office, that political parties and legislative caucuses could take unlimited donations from donors. They can then make unrestricted transfers to candidates. The idea was it would strengthen the parties, you'd put more money into the parties rather than these shadowy groups, and it would help the parties. Well, Ben Wickler, with his national connections, come from moveon.org, and Tony Evers being the governor in a swing state, swing state in both the 2020 presidential election 
and likely 2024 presidential election, is a perfect storm to generate large donations from out-of-state donors. Going through the party's report, every period you see like these donors from California and Illinois and New York pouring in six-figure checks. It's because Wisconsin is so important, they want the infrastructure here because who is governor influences how the election will be run in 2024. The stakes are very high here. For Michaels, he's now committed nearly $19 million own money to the campaign. Most of that came pre-primary. Um, again, as we've talked, if Michaels loses, and I'm not saying he's going to, but if he does, the conversation will be about did he wait, to, did, he, should he make, did he make a mistake not putting more money in right after the primary to kind of have a to surge. To himself too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because in the latest report, we're seeing the big Republican donors are giving to Michaels now. He did not have an infrastructure in place pre-primary to gather big checks. You have to build a relationship with those donors. You have to have, you know, have a fundraising team. Remember, Michaels is saying 500 bucks a pop, no PAC donations, no lobbyist donations, period, right? He didn't have that infrastructure to grab these checks. He was building it, though, and now we're seeing them kind of come home. Those donors come home. The Republican Party had raised $1.9 million between January 1st and the end of August. It jumped up to $9 million. Now, half of that was committees, and I'm not going to get so deep in the weeds with you guys about what committees do with parties, but more than $4 million came from individual donors. That's a sign of the importance of the governor's race and these big donors, the Michaels brothers, your Diane Hendricks, your Ulines, giving big checks to the party, which can then transfer money to Michaels and help him out. Uh, it's been a big boost for him financially. Still looking overall spending on paid media, a significant advantage for Evers and his allies versus Michaels and his, even the last week. In some ways, in the environment we're looking at nationally, where, where Democrats are investing in plus 12, plus 20 Biden seats in the House, Tony Evers is dead even with the Republican challenger in what looks like a not great Democratic environment. That's a credit to his campaign and to his spending to be in that position days out from the election. Right on. All right. Attorney General's race, we're talking about the same thing. Uh, a lot of money pouring into this race. Democrat Josh Call, of course, as you have mentioned, has a lot of help from mm -hmm. the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. That's why he is ridiculously outspending Eric Tony. Eric Tony is not as well known. He's currently the Fond du Lac District Attorney. Uh, he's tried to get up on ads. He's tried to more get the media attention. Yep. He's been holding events almost every week, uh, trying to get on air to get that FaceTime with voters. Um, but but a r real, real big difference in, the, in this amount of money. So look, his 526 grand whatever it was raised in this seven week period is well more than what he raised the entire campaign before that. But it's still not making a dent on paid media. Why is that important? Because I don't know if either of these two gentlemen can create a unique brand identity beyond the generic ballot. Um, if I look at Tuesday and talking to people like possible scenarios, Mandela Barnes winning, Tony Evers winning, and Eric Tony winning is the least likely scenario. Tony has not been able to raise the money, spend the money to have this kind of reputation through paid media. He's trying to get it through earned media, but he's just not well known. Is this race going to be a pure generic ballot? Tony Evers wins, Josh Call wins, Tim Michaels wins, uh, Eric Tony wins, possibly. Or does Call have the ability? Has he got enough money to create just enough of a break from the Democratic brand to, you know, survive if it's a Johnson-Michaels win? Can Call still get through? Maybe. Um, I think most people think it's more generic ballot type race. Um, there's also a third-party candidate on here before, like four years ago, which helped Call a little bit against Brad Schimmel. Uh, but I'm still watching to see, is there any break between 
what the control candidates do and what the AG candidates do. Exactly. Um, also, a big storyline that a lot of people are reporting on this week as we approach Tuesday's election is the possibility of Republicans gaining a supermajority in the Senate and Assembly. Now, I've talked to a lot of experts this week about this scenario. It's now looking that Republicans could be on the verge mm -hmm. of picking up all they need is one seat in the Senate and five seats in the Assembly. And also this week, Democrats are pouring a lot more money into these races, which you can you know, the storyline is there. They're getting a little nervous, right? Yeah. Seats that were supposed to be favorable Democrat are now at risk. And we have the slide right here of where specifically, yes, these are vulnerable districts, but we're only really highlighting right here of the money that's been pouring mm -hmm. in recently. So the potential pickups you see right here. Um, you also reported this week that uh, Representative Tip McGuire from Kenosha also saw a big chunk of change, um, which has been Democrat for some time. So Democrats might be a little weary right now, um, but it remains to be seen because a lot of focus right now, JR, is on the Senate, is on the governor's race. But is the message of save the veto out there? Mm -hmm. I'm not hearing that on the campaign trail as much. We did hear former President Barack Obama mention that, trying to get that to resonate people, that you got to continue to vote up and down the ballot for whatever party you want because this is on the table. Look, uh, Democrats are not publicly conceding a two-thirds majority in the Senate, but their spending suggests they in reality they are. Um, Jeff Smith, so remember, Republicans began this session with uh, 21 seats. They needed that just one to get to two-thirds majority. Um, Northern Wisconsin, R Romaine Quinn, a former state rep, Republican, running against Kelly Westland for um, the seat of Janet Bewley, a Democratic minority leader right now. The spending has been heavily in favor of Romaine Quinn. Democrats quietly are conceding that it's tough to hold. That's your two-thirds majority right there because they're not in position right now to hold, to knock off the 19th Assembly District in or Senate District in the Appleton area, or the fifth in the Milwaukee suburbs. It's all become about protecting Jeff Smith. Why? Well, because he's an incumbent. It's a 50-50 seat, and he's a leadership. He's a caucus chair, so that makes him a priority. But again. Being at 10 versus 11 is not a significant difference for Democrats when it comes to stopping a veto override because they can't. You can't at 11 or 10. The Assembly, it's fascinating. I think as I've gone through this more, there are three races I'm really watching. Um, one is the McGuire race. One is Steve Doyle out in western Wisconsin. And one is the open Oshkosh seat. So big picture, Republicans start 61 seats. In suburban Milwaukee, uh, Sarah Rodriguez, who's running for lieutenant governor, her seat was redrawn to be really Republican. Okay, they are 62. Let's just say it for that. Northern Wisconsin, the 73rd and 74th Assembly districts. In the 74th, more the Bayfield area, Democratic seat, there's not much spending going on. It seems like Democrats are going to go, okay, we're not holding that one. They're putting up a fight in the 73rd, which is the seat of Nick Milroy. Um, that one, they're at least fighting for it, seems like, resource-wise. So, okay, let's, let's say it's in Republicans' column just for the path. If they pick up Rodriguez's seat, those two seats, now you look at Steve Doyle. Doyle's an important race because it's a 50-50 district, long-time incumbent, well-funded, but in waves, long-time incumbents lose, all right? Especially when waves break late. Not saying Doyle's going to lose, but if he loses, you're talking about a wave election. He's running against Ryan Hipsch, whose father was Mike Hipsch, former Assembly Speaker, DOA secretary under Scott Walker, former public service commissioner. Um, that's a district where you can have all the money in the world, but if the wave is there, you can get swept away. All right. So now we're talking there are 62, 3, 4, 5. Now you get the Democratic seats. Looking at the Shanklin race, 
Um, Republicans aren't putting the kind of money I would expect in that district if they're really going to beat her. I mean, I don't mean to dismiss $150,000. That's more than I have in my bank account. <laughs> uh, but that's not how you beat an incumbent unless the wave takes you over the top. Right? If she's losing, that's tsunami-type stuff. I'm really more watching the Oshkosh seat. It's a 54% Dem seat. If you look at the last two presidential races and the governor's race from 18 and how they performed top of the ticket, right around there. You have a candidate, Lori Palmieri, who's the Oshkosh mayor, who has some legal history. I mean, she's got some problems, some baggage. Um, what I'm wondering, though, is what is disqualifying anymore for a candidate? Look at Herschel Walker down in Georgia, okay? He's alleged to have paid for two abortions. But for Republicans, they're not abandoning him. It makes me wonder if we're so tribalistic and are thinking about politics anymore, if you have the right letter behind your name in the right district, you're going to win no matter what. I'm not saying anything bad about Lori Palmieri. I'm just saying she's got these flaws that are being put into mail and on paid media, but is being Democrat enough in a Democratic seat? If Democrats lose that one, again, you're talking a wave. The McGuire seat is interesting because this has been an area trending the wrong way for Democrats for a long time because of Illinois' people moving into mm -hmm. Kenosha County, the place of my birth. Um, it's not the Kenosha we knew 30 years ago. It's changing. Also, we have the 2020 uh, violent protests, everything happened there. If Tip McGuire loses on Tuesday, that's not good. It's, again, mid-50s Democratic seat, trending the wrong way, though. It's in a, if you lose, it's indicative of a Kenosha problem for Evers as well. Um, if Evers is losing Kenosha, losing a seat like this, what's that mean for him statewide? It's, that's a warning sign for Tony Evers in a statewide race if that goes the wrong way. Now, as you look at legislative races around the map, you hear like little soft spots here for Michaels, little uh, good parts here for Evers. So maybe Kenosha being bad isn't enough for him to lose. It's not a great sign for Tony Evers in a statewide race. And it's important to note a supermajority will be essentially moot if mm -hmm. Tim Michaels wins, right? He's likely going to agree with a lot of the policies that Republicans want to get passed. Um, if Evers is reelected, though, this is what really puts it at danger, where the Republicans can basically pass laws without his authority. Um, and the last time Republic or Republicans even held a supermajority, or there was a supermajority, I should say, in general, was in 1977. So it's been mm -hmm. a very long time. Um, but still on the table here. I, if, there's a, if, if Republicans win a supermajority, Evers is not going to be governor next term. Like, look at the seats they have to win. It's hard to see how Republicans win those seats, but Evers wins re-election. Right. That's tough. Fair point. There is a gap between Michaels and Johnson, the polling, right? There's some softness there. Why is that? We'll find out post-election what was really going on. But it's just hard to see that dynamic playing out where you have 66 or 67 assembly members, but Tony Evers is governor still. Right. All right, we're going to quickly recap uh, news of this week. We have uh, been learned of a second individual who has illegally uh, fraudulently requested absentee ballots, and in this case, it was sent to State Representative Janelle Branchen. The person I'm talking about is Kimberly Zapata. She is the Deputy Director of the Milwaukee Elections Commission, and she is now facing charges for sending ballots for military members to Branchen. Branchen kind of interesting because she has embraced a lot of false election conspiracy mm -hmm. theories. This was big news in the Milwaukee area. Um, this kind of broke at around 10, or I should say I could go back to Monday. Branchen did alert authorities that this happened, and then we found out who the individual was. Milwaukee officials are basically saying, yes, this is upsetting news that this has happened, but they're they're emphasizing that, look, our system works. We caught this problem. Mm -hmm. She has been fired. Don't do it. 
the moral of the story that I heard from Democrats, a very similar theme is that just because you can commit voter fraud doesn't mean you should to prove a point. Um, we also heard from WEX administrator Megan Wolf saying, while this case is understandably will receive a lot of attention, a lot of you know eyebrows raised, the fact remains that our election fraud is extremely rare, and when it does occur, it's quickly discovered and there are consequences. We also heard from Senator Ron Johnson uh, and some other candidates on the campaign trail reacting to this. Uh, Ron Johnson basically was like, well, I I will maybe maybe accept the results, but kind of says this is another evidence of some fishy stuff going on. Uh, Tim Michaels, when I asked him whether or not he wants to eliminate the My Vote system, which is how you can request absentee ballots, he didn't really give a clear answer, but he suggested he doesn't want to eliminate anything that would make it harder for people to vote, but he does want to make it, quote, impossible to cheat. So this is very political. That will remain something that we might even see people raising questions about next week once the election results are pouring in. But it's it's definitely alarming that it's now the second person, right? We had Harry Waite, a Racine County man, who did this proudly and said he wanted to, quote, expose vulnerabilities. This was almost the exact same case of what we're being told of what Zapata was doing as well to kind of raise awareness and say, hey, we should probably start making changes. Remember, but, she yeah. was caught because she came forward and told them yeah. that she did it. Mm-hmm. This is why Republicans distrust Milwaukee. Now, whether it's fair or not, this is the way it is. Republicans are suspicious about Milwaukee in elections. This does not help the conspiracy theorists. Yes. We're going to look at the re- results on Tuesday, and if they're close, go, there's something amiss in Milwaukee. Um, that's a challenge. All right, we're going to get to stock picks real quick. Uh, Secretary of State's uh, spending in that race. Okay. Some numbers we haven't seen before. If you add up the primary and the general election, we're talking close to 700 grand that's been spent for a race for an office that has very little to do. Um, it was not something I was expecting. It's indicative of the national focus on these Secretary of State's offices because of the role in election administration. We don't have a major one in Wisconsin for our office, but it brings up the question of what Republicans do if they win the governor's office. They pass all these bills on election stuff this past session. They all got vetoed. If they have a Governor Michaels, the question becomes, will they go all these bills again or take a second and go, okay, wait a second, we should think this through a little bit more because we know they're gonna become law. Do these things work? We can't just placate the Trump base with any complaint they've had. We have to make sure this works. Michaels, during that stop, Milton talked about doing away with the commission and going to a integrity. Wisconsin Election Integrity Group is what he called it. Representative from all eight congressional districts to say how they'd be picked, the partisan balance, anything like that. So we'll see what his ideas are if he's elected. But just something to watch, this spending that rate. They spent like less than 15 grand four years ago combined. All right. right, and we also saw one of our first polls in the yes. Secretary of State's race, which I think you even noted on your Twitter was the never first time you've never seen that before. Uh, mix this week is Dean Newbert. Uh, this is the case that we've been t- or race we've been talking about for quite some time. That's been kind of filled with some consp- or con- I guess some rumors. <laughs> so, writing candidate for the Sixth Assembly District, we've talked. Nobody has won a writing campaign for the legislature in November, going back to 1940, according to the Reference Bureau. Now, I did find in '86 Peter Bach won. Uh, a writing campaign for a primary, but he won with 2,000 votes. We're talking like eight to nine to 10,000 votes when a primary or a general election in a writing campaign. Dean did not raise the resources you would need to mount a successful writing campaign. Peter Schmidt, who won the GOP primary, he's putting his own money in. He is pumping that money in because he's been kind of shunned by local officials over his legal problems. What I'm watching is one, the local support that Dean has, like the Shawano County GOP is doing stuff for him, can that army be enough to overcome the lack of resources? And two, 
if Dean's unsuccessful, does he come back in two years and primary Peter Schmidt in 2024 and try and give a go then to have Peter Schmidt's legal problems get, get more airing in the public? And following this week, we have President Joe Biden. Uh, of course, he hasn't come to the state. We had Obama last week. Mm-hmm. There's, of course, a reason why. People don't really want to be seen with him with you know, the economy, inflation, and his very low approval numbers. Like the best news he got in the polls this week was that one poll found if he were against Trump in Wisconsin, it'd be 44 Biden, 43 Trump, and 10% would vote for somebody else. <laughs> okay, we've talked before. What's the environment going to be like for Democrats on Election Day? Gas prices or four bucks a gallon place where you should go this morning. They weren't five like they were in June. They weren't three like, you know, Democrats would like them to be. What are Biden's numbers? He's in the low 40s. Uh, Donald Trump in the last Marquette poll before the 2018 election was at 47.50 for job approval. Bi- Democrats would love to see Biden in that neck of the woods. He's not. Is the abortion issue, will it keep the base engaged enough to overcome the unhappiness about Joe Biden? We'll see on Tuesday. Um, the challenge for Democrats has been, their messaging. Is it effective? Is it abortion and democracy on the ballot? I'm dismissing them, but where's the Democratic message been about inflation, gas prices? What have they done to make you feel better about your checkbook and what you're spending every week? That's been a challenge for them. It's, it's, it's not been the best much as I've seen. So that's, he's basically a drag on Democrats in general right now, which is often happens in the midterm. Right. How big a drag he's going to be? Drag it will be, we'll find out on Tuesday. And really the only message we're hearing Democrats counter inflation economy, it's like, well, we've proposed plans, uh, where are Republicans' plans? Well, is that really going to resonate? Yeah. Remains to be seen. Got a big day on Tuesday. We'll have you covered next week. That will do it for this week. This this week's show, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next time. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes, Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.